Good morning. You may be seated. Thank you, downtown worship team. Thank you for being with us. Yeah. Thanks, John, for being with us. I, I really believe in Love, Inc. We, we need this ministry in our community. And so thank you, John. Thank you for your faithfulness in leading this ministry. And thank you, veterans. We are so grateful for you and your families as well. Thank you. Yeah. We have much to be thankful for. I apologize. I am weak in my voice. But my prayer is that as we wrap up Jonah, and this has been stirring in my heart so much, that we would see the goodness and the power of God, even though I am weak. He is not. He is strong. As we uh, wrap up this amazing story, I want to remind us what I shared when we began, that we are preaching through Jonah as a historic story, a story that really happened, rooted in history, rooted in real people, real places, real events. Yet, I don't want us to lose the message because Jonah was written as a prophetic message to the people of God. And we could see the events in the story and miss the message. And that, my dear friends, I think is the most important thing is that we hear what God wants to say to us today. Because God has preserved this amazing story for us, for our day, for our lives. And Jonah, as the disciples found, as Jesus taught in parables, which, by the way, parables are were real stories, concrete things that people observed and saw, but Jesus had a message with the parables that he wanted people to understand. And the disciples said, Jesus, why, why do you teach in parables? Why do you teach in stories? And, and this is what Jesus said, you will indeed hear but never understand. And you will indeed see but never perceive for this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear and their eyes they have closed. And so we can know all about stories about, and know all about God, but we can not really know him. And so Jesus says, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and turn and I will heal them. <laughs> and so we have Jonah, an amazing story that happened but is being communicated to us so that we can understand who God is and what he is doing in our lives, in our world. And that's my prayer is that we would not just know the story of Jonah, but we would know the message of Jonah for our lives. After this message, we're going to have elders and pastors available to pray with people. And, and the reason we do that is because we believe God has given us prayer, not because we're special, there's nothing special about us, but um, we believe God uses prayer because it's a, it's a cry of dependence on God. And he uses the prayer of his people to do amazing things, miraculous things. God works through the prayers of his people. And so we're gonna invite a time if people can come up and pray after the service and um, there'll be people on the side. And so feel free as the spirit leads you if you want to pray with someone this morning. So you might be wondering why there's a whiteboard 
here. So thousands of years ago, early Christians were not free. They were oppressed and persecuted and they hid and they had to have secret signs and symbols that they would um, use to help identify each other and they would etch it in stone and you can go under the Roman city of, and see um, catacombs where there's etched this image and on clay and different things and we've, um, uh, we've come a long way so we don't have stone or clay, we have a whiteboard <laughs> this morning but I wanna etch this symbol for you this morning. Can you see that? You know what that is? It's a fish. And the early Christians used this symbol to identify with Jesus. It's a symbol of resurrection. And it's interesting, you know, this symbol represents Jesus. But if you remember when Jesus was asked for a sign, he said, I will only sign I'm gonna give this generation is the sign of Jonah, the sign of Jonah. And Jesus said, like Jonah was three days in the belly of the fish, so I will be three days in the ground. But Jesus didn't stay in the ground. <laughs> he rose again, he came to life. And so the early Christians staked their life on what? The resurrection. That God is a life-giving God, that he is a God who swallowed up death, swallowed up sin, all that is broken, all that is wrong with our world was swallowed up and made alive again. And I wonder and I believe that those early Christians thought about Jesus and his resurrection, but that maybe they thought about Jonah as they etched the fish and stone, as they shared that image, that symbol with each other in fellowship saying, I too believe, I too have staked my life on the resurrection of Jesus, that I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And think about Jonah. It's a resurrection story that foretells the coming of the ultimate resurrection of Jesus Christ, but it's a prophetic story of resurrection. Jonah thrown into the raging sea, about to drown, but God provides a fish. And Jonah in the belly of the well repents, cries out to God, and experiences the salvation, the resurrection of God, the power of God, and he's brought to life. Think about the Ninevites as Jonah came to them and them hearing that this man had been swallowed by a fish and now was walking. As they heard the message, they believed. And a whole city repented. A whole city believed in God and a whole city was resurrected <laughs> to life. Wow. And what does Jonah say over and over throughout the story? I just want to die. I just want to die. But God keeps him alive. He keeps the Ninevites alive. God is a resurrection God. And we already saying this morning, out of the grave he came. God's goal, his work is resurrection. And so as we come to chapter four of Jonah, we're seeing God's resurrection power towards Jonah. Last week, Evan uh, blessed us by sharing out of chapter four God's heart for the lost, 
I was just thinking this morning as John was sharing about Love, Inc. and how that reflects God's heart for the broken, the hurting, the lost in our world. And, and the story of Jonah reveals that, does not, does it not? Does it not reveal the compassion, the concern, the love that God has for all people, even those who are utterly lost? But this morning we turn our attention to Jonah and his heart. And so would you uh, listen as I read out of Jonah chapter four, you can follow on the screens. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And what he's referring to is that God relented from sending judgment and disaster upon the Ninevites. And so he prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is, what I tried to that is why I tried to forestall my, by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city, and there he made himself a shelter and he sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose and God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint, he wanted to die and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Did you notice that's the second time God asked that question? It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not be, have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? What do you see in Jonah? Evan asked either we could see Jonah and kind of think, what a loser, right? We can judge him. Or we can have empathy, Evan said. This chapter starts with Jonah saying, it seems very wrong. It seems very wrong. How many judgments do we make in our lives? Think about it. Think about all the people, events, circumstances, relationships you've had. How many thoughts of right and wrong have you had in your lifetime? Maybe even this week, maybe even this morning on the way up, maybe even now you're thinking of people who are either very wrong or very right. These judgments. And so Jonah begins with a statement of judgment. And he's making a statement of judgment about Nineveh, but what's he also saying? He's making a statement of judgment about God. He's saying what God you did, I do not agree with. 
He is saying what God did was wrong. And he was so angry that he said, I'd rather die than live. So we looked at Jonah and the storm as he was in that terrible storm and the rolling waves and the sailors were crying out to their gods, what was Jonah doing? He was asleep. <laughs> and we talked about how there is a, a blissful, restful sleep like Jesus in the boat in the storm. But there's also a rebellious sleep that Jonah embodied, an ambivalence, a, a callousness. He didn't care about the sailors. He didn't care about the storm. He was running from God. In the same way, there is a good kind of anger. In fact, the Bible talks many times about God's righteous anger. And even Jesus exhibited anger. And so there is a rightful, a rightful anger that we experience that is good. But there is also a rebellious anger that grieves the heart of God. And Jonah, in this story, is revealing to us the rebellious kind of anger. The kind of anger that comes out of judgment. The kind of anger that comes out of pride. The kind of anger that comes out of disappointment. The kind of anger that comes from missed expectations. The kind of anger that comes from hurt. The kind of anger that is rooted in a deep rebellion against God. And so this morning we're gonna be looking at that kind of anger. And I can guarantee, and I put myself here, is each of us have experienced both kinds. We've experienced the good kind of anger, the kind of anger that is, is, is part of being made in the image of God. But I can also guarantee each of us has experienced this kind of rebellious, judgmental type of anger that is destructive. And if you look at your notes, what you will see is an image of Jonah's anger, but surrounding that is God. <laughs> and God pursuing Jonah, and God pursuing us. You see, God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And because he loves Jonah, because he loves you, he does not leave us in the anger. He pursues us. He surrounds us. He confronts us because he loves us, and he doesn't want to leave us in that place. And so where do we see anger in our lives? Where do we see that rebellious, judgmental type of anger. My boys uh, love going onto YouTube and they uh, found these guys called Dude Perfect. Have you ever heard of them? <laughs> these guys lived down in Texas. They were college um, friends, but they kind of developed this uh, following by shooting basketballs and doing trick shots. And it's, it's funny, it's silly, but it's amazing and it's really cool. My kids can just watch it over and over. It's uh, fun stuff to watch. But they've kind of developed a character. And what they call this character is the rage monster. <laughs> and inevitably, something will happen where um, this person is offended or, or, or something happens and he turns into a rage monster and he starts destroying things <laughs> and throwing things. And the other day, my three-year-old was watching this and the rage monster came on and he began to laugh. <laughs> and he was laughing as this, this guy threw a golf cart into the ocean in his rage and he pointed at the screen laughing and says, he's being bad, dad. <laughs> I said, yes, son. What he didn't realize is that he's many times a rage monster, too. <laughs> but 
but we laugh about it, but we see rage monsters every day around us. What about in traffic? Have you ever seen a rage monster? Have you ever seen one at the sport game? Have you ever seen one in the home, at work? And there's something comical and outrageous and sad about it, right? You, you've maybe seen it at the checkout line or somewhere else where someone just loses control and it's pure anger. And it seems like such silly, small things from our perspective on the outside. But for that person, their heart is being revealed at that moment. And if we're honest, we've been there. Maybe not all of us express it by destroying things. <laughs> but inside, maybe our hearts are seething in anger. We've seen it in the office, in the workplace, where people in anger backbite and hurt and speak ill of and destroy and undermine others. We've seen it in our families where spouses fight and kids disrespect their parents. Anger expressed in words and actions. We've seen it in the body of Christ. <laughs> How many of you have seen in the church people talk ill of each other, hold grudges? And how many people have you seen adopt what uh, many, I think, <clears throat> by their actions believe as a spiritual gift of criticism <laughs> where there's great criticism of people or things in the body of Christ. And let's be honest, we look at our nation, we look at politics, we look at groups of people, and I feel so heavy in my heart because there's so much rage and anger towards the other in our country. Do you hear it? Do you see it? Do you see it in yourself? I do. I think of what James says in James chapter one, verse 20. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Let me read that again. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So we have this rebellious condition of anger that we see in Jonah, that we see in ourselves, that we see in the world around us, and, and we justify this anger, just like Jonah does, because Jonah could point his finger at Nineveh and say, you know what, they, they deserve this anger. And we can easily point our finger and justify our anger, and we could easily say, we are right to feel this way. And we have our justifications, we have our arguments, but at the core of that anger is a judgment of saying, I am right and I want to bring the vengeance. I want to make this right. I'm in control. But the Bible says we do not bring about God's righteousness that way. That is not how God works. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus went to the synagogue and there was a man with a shriveled hand and it was a Sabbath and, and the Jews were under a law that said nothing could happen on the Sabbath. And, and so Jesus saw this man and the Pharisees were there watching Jesus because they were waiting for him to do something, to mess up so that they could point their finger and say, we knew you were wrong, Jesus. And so Jesus took this man and he said, stand up. And he healed him. 
And this is what he asks, what is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? And the Pharisees remained silent. It's just like Jonah. God saw the Ninevites and he saw people that he had compassion on. People created in his image that he loved. People lost who needed rescue. Jesus saw this man with a shriveled hand and said, this man, I want to bring resurrection life to him. And the Pharisees looked and it says Jesus was greatly distressed at their stubborn hearts and he told that man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched out and his hand was restored. But here's, here's the turning point for the Pharisees. It says the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. You see the anger in the Pharisees' heart, that judgment that, Jesus, you cannot heal, you cannot do this on the Sabbath, and that anger turned into a rage that led them towards violence to destroy Jesus, the Son of God. Oh, how misguided that anger caused these men to walk in a way that was so opposed to the ways of God. And that's what our anger does. It leads us astray. It leads us not towards God, but away and against God and his ways. Two times, God asked Jonah a question. Is it right for you to be angry? That's a profound question. Think about it. Is it right? Is it right? Who's the ultimate judge? Who's ultimately right? <laughs> is it me? Is it Jonah? Is it you? Or is it God? I remember when uh, my wife and I, we moved to a town in Minnesota to be, start a church. And uh, we just had a couple people joining us. So we were a small beginning in a very difficult work and uh, we believed that God had called us, that his power was with us. But we quickly found out that this was gonna test us, test our faith and, and uh, in the, the midst of, a, of the start of this church, um, God had brought a family to work with us who we loved, who we invested much into their lives and uh, grew very close to but they abandoned us, they deserted us in this church plant process. And it was extremely hurtful, very difficult. And I was very angry. In fact, I could relate to Paul when he writes in one of his letters about someone deserting him and just how hurt he was over that. And, and I remember one day out walking in the city streets and I was crying out to God in anger against how this family had deserted us and left us. And, and I was at that point and I was ready to throw in the towel. I was like Jonah <laughs> saying, I, I didn't sign up for this. This is not what I signed up for. And then as I was walking, I, in a sense, heard, not literally, but I heard God say, are you right, Ben, to feel this way? Are you right? And that broke me. That broke my anger because I realized at that point that this was God's work. 
<laughs> this wasn't my work. It wasn't up to me. This was what God wanted to do, and he was asking me to be faithful. And part of that faithfulness was to forgive. And as I look back many years later after that event, that was a turning point for me and for our church because now I can look back and I can see many people who came to Christ through that work and many people who were baptized and hundreds of worshipers who today worship God because of the work that God did to that church. And I look back and I see relationships restored, including with this man. My relationship with him was completely restored. And I look back and I say, there's resurrection power at work. God is bringing life and, and resurrection and salvation. But that was a moment for me where my anger was about to take hold and to destroy where my anger was going to cause me to say no to God, to walk away from what God wanted to do. I was at that moment where my anger was about to come between me and God. But God was gracious. He pursued me. He said, Ben, don't you trust me? Don't you think I see all things that you can forgive, that I can make it right? And so God asked Jonah, he asked me, he asked you, is it right for you to be angry? Is it right? And then God gives an illustration to Jonah. And I love this. In this story, as you look at Jonah, what's the one thing he does? He builds a shelter. So I built a shelter this morning. <laughs> it's a little rough, but it's a shelter, right? Now, think about this with me. I, I've only been here with you guys for 11 months, and I look at this building. It's beautiful, and I benefit from this building, but, but I contributed absolutely nothing to the construction of this building, nothing. But I'm benefiting by being here with you in this beautiful place. Many of you have contributed to this building. You've given money, you've given effort, you've given time to, to build. Many of you invested greatly in it, but I did nothing. But I did build the shelter. <laughs> but think about this shelter in comparison to what, where we're sitting right now. I mean, this is pretty small, right? But, but I built it. I like it. <laughs> and think about bigger than this building. Think about this property. Look outside those windows at that, that incredible cliff and the, and the and the river that flows through there this morning, I was standing down there and I saw the sun sparkling through a piece of ice that just glittered like a star. It was beautiful, it took my breath away. Think about this setting. What did we contribute to this setting? Nothing. <laughs> we didn't contribute a thing. Now, think about the person sitting next to you. The Bible says that God's highest creation is a person made in his image. Do you realize how magnificent each person is that's sitting here? In fact, maybe turn to the person next to you and say, you're magnificent. <laughs> you are God's creation, made in his image. You have incredible worth. So Jonah made a shelter. He made a shelter. But what does Jonah tell us? God 
sent a plant. Now, did Jonah plant that seed? No. Did Jonah make that plant? No. But it sprang overnight, and, and this weak, inadequate shelter, God made adequate with a plant that covered it up, and, and Jonah was shaded with that beating sun. And so what Jonah had made, which was absolutely inadequate, there was no way this would keep me from the sun and the wind and the snow. I would be big trouble if this was my shelter. But God provided a plant. And then God provided what? A worm <laughs> to eat the plant. And then God provided what? A wind, right? So if we have a, we have a plant, we have a worm. Here's his mouth. And then we have a wind. God provided each of these things. Did Jonah do anything for those things? Absolutely nothing. He was sitting in a shelter, arms crossed, saying, God, bring out the fireworks. Destroy the city. <laughs> I'm waiting. But God provided a plant, a worm, and a wind. And it says the sun beat down on Jonah's head because that worm, that worm made that plant wither and that wind destroyed the plant. And there was Jonah angry, angry, wanting to die. And God asked that question, is it right? And he says to Jonah something profound. He says, Jonah, did you do anything for that plant to grow? Did you do anything and yet God says there are people who are magnificently made in my image in that city and you don't care about them. Is it right for you to be angry? And so Jonah was confronted like I think every human being will ultimately be confronted, like Job was confronted. Think about Job. He had built a wonderful, beautiful life. He had built his shelter. And then God sent, figuratively, a worm, but it wasn't a worm. God destroyed Job's life. He had nothing left. And his friends were angry. And Job, even himself, was angry because he said, God, I've done nothing wrong. And yet, we get to the end of the story of Job and God reveals his glory, his beauty, his grace, his greatness to Job. And what does Job say in, verse, in chapter 42? He says, I know that you can do all things. So Job, for the, he recognizes God's glory, his power, that God can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? And Job says, surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And this is what Job says, therefore I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. You see, Jonah, Job, every single human being must grapple with this reality that God is God and we are not. Who are we to judge? But think back with me to Adam and Eve as not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the serpent came to Adam and Eve and said, eat that fruit because see how good it is and if you eat it, you will be like God. You will be able to judge. And that sounded really good to Adam and Eve. It 
sounds really good to us. We want to be in control. We want to be right. We want to judge. But every person must come into the presence of the holiness and the glory and the justice and the beauty and the majesty of God. And when we do, we must either like Job, repent, or we must in our anger raise our fist against God. That is the only option. Either we must fight God or we must love God and give ourselves to him and realize that he is good, that he doesn't do this to play with us. He does this because he's good and he wants us to live. He wants us to experience resurrection. He wants us to be alive for what we were created for and that is to live in his presence and his goodness, to be people of love, to be people of compassion, to be people of mercy, to be people of abounding love like God. We were created to be his children, to be like him, to reflect him and that's why Jesus came. He came to die on that cross to rescue us from our sinful condition of anger and judgment and to bring us into life into resurrection that is why Jesus came and that is what is offered to us and so Jonah ends with a question it there's no conclusion we don't know what happens because this is a prophetic message because you have to decide in your heart what will you do with God will you accept him as the rightful ruler as the Lord of all the glorious one or will you fight him in your anger I want to end as the worship team comes up with a prayer that another man prayed like Jonah this man was against what he desired brought to a land that was not his own. And it's interesting that Jonah preached to an Assyrian king, and this man also preached to an Assyrian king. His name was Daniel, and he was taken as a slave to Babylon, which was under the control of the Syrians, the enemies of the people of Israel. So just like Jonah, Daniel is confronted with the very same enemies as Jonah. But Daniel heard the word of God. Jonah heard the word of God and ran. Daniel heard the word of God. It says he searched the scriptures and he realized that God had a plan that through this captivity, through the Babylonians, God was gonna do a greater miracle, a greater thing. Resurrection was in the future. And Daniel prayed this prayer. He said, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keeps his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong we have been wicked we have rebelled we have turned away from your commands and laws we have not listened to your servants the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes our ancestors and to all the people of the land lord you are righteous but this day we are covered with shame the people of judah and the inhabitants of jerusalem and all israel both near and far in all countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you We and our kings and our princes and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving. Even though we have rebelled against him, we have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants and prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Now our God, hear 
the prayers, the petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make request of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. Do you realize you have the name of Jesus this morning? You are his sons and his daughters, like Daniel. And I, maybe Jonah prayed a prayer like this too. If you have been in your anger, standing in judgment, today's the day of repentance. Turn from that. Open your heart to God, his mercy, his compassion, his grace, and you will be healed because God is faithful.